Hey, if you're enjoying SLP's Wine and Cheese podcast, please take the time to rate and review us on your podcast player. This is episode 134, The Complexity Approach, featuring Kelly Voss, part two. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Maria. And I'm Deb. And here's our podcast. It's for the realistic Prosecco drinking SLP. That's right, it is. We have some Prosecco here. It's Mm -hmm. a product of Italy. And we've paired it with orange juice. (laughs) Only the finest, Tropicana. Yeah. No pulp. Yeah. That would be weird. Plus vitamin D. Pulp in your mimosas, right? Yeah. That's not classy. I don't know. Is it? Is it? I don't think so. That would be gross. No. Well, cheers. Cheers. You vote drink it or sink it. Drink it. Mm. Delicious. I like mimosas. I always get to a point like, with my last mimosa, I'm like, just hold the orange juice. <laughs> right. It's like at this, you know what? Yeah. Now that you say that. Yeah, pour it in. I'm going to pour. We're almost done with this yeah, bottle. Yeah, finish so that off. We might as well. Whoa, Ooh. we got to drive later. So yeah. actually you, you should pour soon. it on an angle. I know. <laughs> I just didn't want to like spend too much time pouring. Yeah. But I got the bubblies, everyone. Mm-hmm. It seems like usually for mimosas, it's like we're celebrating something. Right. Are we? Um, we could I guess we're find celebrating a to celebrate. our return. Our return, after us being our back. Hiatus. Yeah, um, we took a hiatus. I thought I would talk a little bit about um, going into labor mm. and having a baby. Sure, Did you want to scare? I mean, that? enlighten people. Sure. Well, I will tell you that I've heard many stories because I do have another podcast, the Unexpected Podcast, where I've heard lots of people's birth stories, which um, you know gave me, I guess, a lot of insight. But at the same time, like. I kept thinking, like, they're like, don't plan for anything. Hmm. Almost everything can go differently. But really, everything kind of went how I imagined it would. So don't also think that things won't go the way you think that they will. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that it's not painful and uh, it's over in five minutes. Oh, well, that didn't happen. But that's not what I expected to happen. Okay. Maybe you're, like, willing that to happen. Maybe that could happen. I don't know. But, um... (laughs) <laughs> my water did break, which is not something that many people experience. Mm-hmm. So, How did that happen? Well, earlier that day, so I was due on April 30th, and then my grandmother had died May 1st, 2017. Like, I think it was 17, the year that we started this podcast. Yes. So for a while, it was like, this baby's going to come on May 1st. Oh. And then May 1st came, and I didn't go into labor, and I was like, oh my goodness, oh. I'm wrong. I'm going to be this person who's pregnant forever and then I was like no maybe she just didn't want it to be that day mm-hmm. so then um May 1st I was still like kind of convinced that we were gonna have the baby that day so um we walked from our apartment in Carroll Gardens which is kind of like very west Brooklyn and we walked all the way to um Prospect Park which is kind of like I don't think it's in the center but you're walking pretty far east okay and uh, it was a warm day, but it was six miles there and back. So we walked. Six miles? Yeah. That's a long walk. Yeah. And I had to take some breaks and we stopped for brunch. Okay. That's good. And um, so then I guess like I really wanted to have the baby soon. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking like, I want this to happen. So like we're home 
And um, I remember I took a bath and then I went to go lay down because I felt like kind of nauseous. And then I just felt like my stomach getting a little bit tight. And then I was like, is this really happening or am I like willing this to happen? I don't know if it's real or not. Um, So then I... Oh, thank you. Mike just gave us chips and dip. Wow, Mike. Yeah. Yum. So you can munch on that while you hear this Well, story. all right. I'll move away from the yeah. mic so nobody hears my chewing noises. So I um, I had an app where you, like, track your contractions. And I was like, maybe this is a contraction. Like, I wasn't in pain, but I did consistently feel, like, my stomach squeezing. Like, a little bit of a cramp, but not a painful one. And I guess, like, you know, movies make you think it's like, whoa. And that's not how I felt. Yeah, like a puddle comes out. <laughs> well, that is what actually did eventually happen. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I was laying in bed. I had these contractions. And I, I come out to talk to Mike, who's watching YouTube about art. And I'm like, Mike, I think that I have contractions. And I've been putting them in this app. And the app says I should start getting ready to go to the hospital. And Mike, it just was like but look at this painting (laughs) and he was like not hearing me at all it felt like I don't know if he was trying to like just delay the moment Mm. or like it was a lot for him to confront in that time or I don't know what but he was like just really enveloped in this painting art Mike what was the painting um it's called like the Arnolfini portrait or something it's like a very interesting painting. I forget who. Let me Google okay. it, actually, just All so right. I get the name right. I'm going to have a chip right now. Okay. Yeah, so he's looking at this painting while he's looking for who is the artist and what the painting is. Um, and I'm like, is this guy kidding me right now? Because I'm about right. to have a baby, and he's talking to me about the shoes that this woman's wearing in this painting. Okay, so it's called the Arnold Feetri- the Arnolfini Portrait by Jan Van Eyck, and it's like one of the most debated paintings of all time. Right. Because it's like, it's it's a portrait of these two people. Can I see like, this painting so I can describe it to our <laughs> listeners as I yeah, like here. I think around the 1700s or something. But oh. there's like a lot going on in the painting. So it so looks like a man who's yeah, like. I would encourage everyone to Google it and just yeah. take from it what you will. I'm not sure what's happening in this <laughs> yeah. painting. At can all. I see it again? Maybe it'll give it me looks PTSD. Like your dog. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The woman. The, yeah. The woman in it is dead because her hand is up, turned up towards the. Uh huh. So it's like a memorial for the guy's dead wife right she's dead in there right she's like standing up right though it's a painting of a woman who passed away right so there's a whole youtube video analyzing this painting um and mike was really into it so i don't think he was like ready for me to tell him he was going to be a father very soon she looks pregnant she does look pregnant is she (laughs) pregnant in this picture um so so that was that and um so I called my cousin who was actually like working at the hospital where I was going to have the baby. And she's like, and I was like, I don't feel any pain, but I do. I feel consistent, like squeezing. And she's like, it sounds like you're going to have a baby tonight. So you have two choices. You can either lay down and relax or you can clean the house, you know, get yourself ready. Um, and maybe that'll speed things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we both decided, like, we wanted to come back to kind of an orderly house. So we, like, cleaned the kitchen together. And then that's when I was like, oh, I really do feel consistent, like, squeezing, which is just so, like, mind-boggling to you at that point. Because wow. you're like, you, the whole time you know you're going to have a baby, and then, like, it's happening, and you're like, hold on. <laughs> like, what do you mean? What about this painting? Yeah. So um, <laughs> we cleaned the whole kitchen, 
And um, I sit down in this new uh, pottery barn chair that Mike's mom bought. And we put on a movie. And I, I read that, like, melatonin helps progress labor. So we oh. turned off all the lights because that, like, if you have all these lights on, you won't yes. develop as much. Um, and we put on Small Soldiers. <laughs> and okay. we started watching that. And then um, I was laying in the chair reclined. And Mike was on the couch. And I was he was holding my hand. And then I felt, like, a big kick and then a pop and i was Whoa. like oh i better get off this chair because it was expensive mm -hmm. and i was and like i don't white. know what and it's white i don't know what's gonna like leak off out of me so i stood up and it was like whoosh oh okay that's what you see in the movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay. it was just like the movies <laughs> i was like oh my goodness i am having a baby <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, Bam. that was like 12.07 a.m. We were at the hospital by 1 a.m. Mike, we get to the hospital. And that's another thing you don't think about. Like, what happens when you get to the hospital? I don't know. What happens? So our <laughs> hospital's like under construction. Oh. So we pull around the back to the emergency entrance of um, Richmond University Medical Center where we had the baby. And um, Mike had to go and park because mm. I don't know what happens. And I was like fine-ish. So I have like a backpack and a cooler with the mask on too. With a mask on, and I'm pregnant, and I walk Aww. in, and I'm like, I'm having a baby, and they're like, Help are, me. You, are you sure? And then I'm like, Yeah, I'm really sure, because I just looked normal, probably. Yeah. Um, and then um, Mike, uh, and then they like put me in a wheelchair upstairs, and I was like, My husband will probably come in confused. He's in an Adidas tracksuit. Just send him to me. <laughs> so then, yeah, they sent us upstairs, and. And then they uh, started doing all stuff to me and asking yes. me a lot of questions. And they ask you the same questions over and over again. They don't communicate at all. Nobody okay. writes anything down and tells the rest of the crew. Okay. They just ask you the same questions again. Okay. Very efficient. Yeah. Very efficient. And then uh, my number one advice would be to do whatever you think you need to do. But I decided I wanted to get the epidural. So mm. when they said, let us know when you want the epidural, I was like, now, why am I going to wait? Like, for what? To right. see, like, where we go from here? Mm -hmm. And and also, if you think you're going to get it, just tell them to give it to you now. Because um, that there's, like, one anesthesiologist working, and he might be with somebody else. And you're, like, in the queue. Oh. So I didn't get it. I said I wanted it. I think I got it an hour later. Oh, wow. So imagine if you waited Right, again. so don't delay. Don't just, delay. If you want it, just get it. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean. And how was the actual delivery? Pushing was hard. Ouch. Push, not that it hurt. It hurt a lot, like, because I guess, like, my epidural didn't work on, like, every part of my body. Yes. But it's not it doesn't, supposed to be 100% numb, right? So yeah. You feel some of the pushing. Yeah, but I, you're not supposed to feel as much pain as I felt, I don't oh, think. Oh, yikes. But it doesn't hurt. It hurts a lot, and then it feels like nothing. And then it hurts a lot, and then it feels like nothing. So okay. it's not like that bad constant pain yeah because even no matter how bad it hurts it goes away mm -hmm. and it, you don't feel anything at all okay and then sometimes you're just like do 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 <laughs> i don't right. feel anything <laughs> i'm here um waiting yeah so it's really i don't mind doing it again it wasn't that bad at all okay so you don't mind that's the consensus you mm -hmm. don't mind doing it again not that bad at all no great <laughs> I'm going to tie this in with the complexity approach. Yeah, there you go. How you can do so that? So how complex was that? I mean, you if know? you talk to Mike, it was pretty complex. It was. Pre He's got a whole joke about how it was the hardest thing he ever saw. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So that was the complexity approach in that sense. So on our interview, though, with Kelly Voss, she talks about using the complexity approach. She works with preschoolers with autism mm-hmm. and talking about using like phrases right away or constant clusters instead of just like doing more simple sounds and words and right. just to, you know, give them the toughest thing right from the get go. And that makes they get the it most bang for your bong. Hard, easier too it makes so it's like work on the hardest things mm-hmm. and then the easier things will come right along with that yes yeah. exactly Got so like now it. that you did something pretty hard yeah it's like other things are not as hard anymore right, right? like not uh, much is harder than that there I you guess. go yeah so we did just connect it mm-hmm. with our interview that we have coming right up right after this unless deb has any more any more stories she'd like no. to i guess we can grace us we could talk more about that later Okay, cool. All right, guys. This is what I always say. Uh, people, people are like, well, why don't you get your doctorate? You're always doing research. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I work with children with autism. Right. Those are your professors. I like that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, looks- they will teach you. And, and, and this is another conversation, but my greatest discoveries I've made have been from children with autism teaching me how the brain works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, you couldn't get that in a classroom. You really couldn't. I agree. I see. Yeah. I'm, listen, if anyone wants to get their doctorate, don't let us deter you. I yeah. don't, I think I'm good just learning more and more about the field, but, and Kelly, you seem to, you know, go the same way as same thinking as I have, but Listen, there's always stuff to learn, right? You'll never learn it all. There's always more. <laughs> so if you're interested in your doctorate, go for it. But there's so much within the field to learn that it's like you'll never be bored of <laughs> learning stuff. There'll yeah. you'll always be like, I know it all, right? You'll never reach that point. And in the world today is flat. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'll give you an example. I'm on ResearchGate and I regularly have <laughs> back and forth conversation with the leaders in the field, you have access to them. Mm-hmm. So, so the internationally, I'm, I'm regularly the top researchers in Australia, the top researchers in the UK, the top researchers in the US. I have back and forth. I ask them questions. They respond. I have. So it's a different world we live in today where you, you have, and also journals, most journals, a lot of the journals are free. Yeah. So it's, what's kind source, of an exciting world hmm? what source do you use to like read the journals or Good. you know the research oh i love your questions because i find my greatest discoveries are going outside of our field mm-hmm. and i find if you just go to google scholar okay and even if you just read the abstracts mm-hmm. that's enough if you read yeah. the abstracts it's going to tell you what you need to know for therapy tomorrow morning but I, my greatest discoveries have actually been in reading in the field of um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and how they use movement activities to improve literacy, speech, and language, and behavior and executive function. Wow! So yeah. I didn't get that from a speech pathology journal, but it dramatically improved my practice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. That brings me into another question. So like, what are some goals you would work on with the preschooler? So you mentioned like consonant clusters, um, 
you mentioned like multi, maybe multi-syllabic words. I saw that on your website. You didn't mention that, but your website mm-hmm, mentioned mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so, because yeah. that's going with the complexity approach. Mm-hmm. So like, um, are there any t- other type of goals you would work on? Maybe if they're not even related to speech, if they're more like literacy based or attention, I don't know if you work, if you like would write a goal for that, just because this is a big question we get from a lot of our listeners, like what goal would you, you know, is that working on or how would you write that goal? So if you can give us some like sample goals for preschoolers. Yeah, I love what you're saying, because all of that treating the whole child is inherent in the intervention and the educationally rich activities. So that's not a goal. But when I look at goals, I look at maximum level of prompting, and then pulling that prompting away. So I might say, given a maximal level of DTTC prompting, the child will be able to produce SKR blends. Okay, there you go. And then I'll say, and then I'll go down a level and then I'll say, yeah, get it. Given a visual level of prompting, the child will produce SKR blends. And then I'll go down a level, given an intermittent, because we don't want the child saying R for W. We'll stop and go in there, you know, yeah, I know. Well, give me the bear <laughs> sound. You're giving yeah, me huh? W I'm like, giving me the bear sound like, yeah. Bear yeah. yeah. And like, I, yeah, for me, it's the angry dog. Cause I oh, love dogs. Right. So yeah. Okay. And that so works. It's like, yeah. we need you to be more animalistic. Okay, kid. All right. Yeah. You know, angry dog or bear. Just come on. <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah. what the R sound is. All right. Sound like a wild animal. Please try it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you'll break. Yeah. So that, then we go down the prompting and we always say there are rules. Like I told you, okay, you might do a cue a little bit like that. And I might do a cue a little bit like that. That's okay. But the 80% rule really, really does matter. We've done the research. If the child's producing the sound correctly, 50% of the time, then 50% of the time we're rewarding incorrect production. Mm -hmm. So this is eight, it has the child. I mean, this is just a rule. We've researched it 80% of the time. They minimally have to be accurate. And if you're below that, then it's frustration or you are habituating an error. You're making it worse. If you are above that, it's too easy. So you're not challenging the child enough. So we have found there are rules. The 80% rule is a rule across many disciplines that's been researched. The 80% rule matters. You got to follow that. But whether your snake looks like a python and my snake looks like a cobra, you know, that's okay. <laughs> that's not that. Yeah. That's yeah. not enough to be statistically significant in the results, right? As long as they're getting to pair the S sound with, you know, equating it with like what a snake sounds like, that's what you're really teaching them. The details yeah. of the steak, steak, snake, look at me and my consonant clusters. Yeah. The details hard. of the snake is not really what you should be like focusing on. Yeah. And my angry dog is just as good as your angry bear. Right. But I couldn't do the angry bear because I wouldn't be feeling it as much. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. To the dogs. 
I was just, yeah, I love dogs. All right. You, everyone does what works for them. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that would be like a goal. So you would like write the long-term goal with 80% and then you could break down the goal with short-term objectives by the cues. So like visual cues, verbal cues, like a verbal cue would be like, you know, remember to put your tongue behind your teeth Mm -hmm. for S and that Mm -hmm. can count as like a verbal reminder, I guess, or a verbal cue. And then Mm -hmm. also something that I've gone over, I, um, taught a graduate, uh, not graduate, I taught undergrad class and mm-hmm. uh, talking about like visual cues. So a visual cue would be like showing them what they have to do with their mouth, not just like a picture of the word snake. To me, that's not really like the visual cue. That's just like the stimulus. That's how you're presenting like flashcards and the word is snake and it's a picture of a snake. But that I don't think is a visual cue. Do you think mm-hmm. that's a visual cue? Mm-hmm. Or is like a mm-hmm. visual cue more like a picture of someone's mouth with the S sound and the tongue is behind the teeth. That's like mm-hmm. showing mm-hmm. them. All right. Your tongue is behind your teeth for S. That's a visual cue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I ended on a, on a, um, uh, an imagery cue where it'd be like, imagery did you make the cue. snake sound, you know, or did you make the angry dog teeth? Were your teeth angry dog? Or did you remember, you know? So where they're they're, like I said, imagery is very powerful. Okay. An imagery cue. Look at that. Your angry bear and my angry dog. They're both good. Great. So imagery cues incorporate that everyone. So Mm -hmm. do you structure your therapy sessions in a certain way? Like, will you do like a warm up and then like an activity or do you do an activity like at the end or how do you, I'm just wondering about your structure of your ses- sessions. I, I love that you asked this question because I do only movement activities mm, with wow. all of the children I work with. So whatever the theme is that week, suppose it's a farm theme, then we have, I set up two movement activities. Okay, one over here in the room and one over here. So every child, if the child has autism, if the child's working on the R's and L's, they're all moving. Every child has the same activity. Like a physical therapist, I might yeah. make some adjustments. Like, okay, you're going to use two pound weights and you're going to use 50 pound weights, but it's the same activity right. uh, that we're using with each of the children. And the reason for that is that when you use movement, and, and this is children that are school age and preschool age, the child has better engagement, mm-hmm. better Definitely. attention the child also acquires the information more quickly and the child retention, the child remembers the information. So I like to go, if I see you Monday, I want to take it up a level on Wednesday. So for me, I only have an hour a week. It's about quality, quality counts. So I do the same activity with every kid. And I'm probably like you back to back to back to back. And just like a physical therapist, I make little adjustments like, okay, you're a bodybuilder. You're 80 years old getting rehab. Mm -hmm. So how do, how do we start? I use the same exemplar. I use the same um, paragraph. I use a paragraph typically with the children to request. Mm -hmm. I use the same paragraph because I want the child to be the teacher. And I want the child to focus on how they're talking, not what they're saying. So I know this sounds strange, but if I gave them 20 SCR words, scrape, scrub, scrum, I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. 
I'm in charge. They're worrying about not how they're talking. What word is it now? What word is it? I want them to be the teacher. So if they know, and what that's what they do, they know the paragraph, they practice it at home, they practice it with me, then they're doing it. And they're saying it, they're the teacher. And I get to just say, oh, angry dog teeth. When we get to that R or the sneak sound and, and give them those reminders. But it's, it's all about, and you've talked about this in a thing, intrinsic Motivation. Yes. Yeah. It's all about internal locus of control. You're the teacher. I'm the student as soon as possible. So the research, a lot of people like to have 20 different words, 20 different K words, 20 different G words. The research, we have 30 years of research that shows it's better to pick one word Mm -hmm. and have the child say it independently. And the child is not thinking. I don't want the child to think about what the word is. We want the child to think about how they're talking, right? Is the tongue in the back of the mouth? Am I making angry dog teeth? Is that a snake sound? I'm the teacher. I'm thinking about how. So um, that that's that's what we do. So yeah, the, and, and as you were talking about, I start off the session maximum, right? And then I fade out. I hear you. Because they're a little rusty. I haven't seen them in a week and they come in. The first yeah. time we want to get the momentum going, accuracy. I yeah, I could see that. I definitely start like that too, and then we like end nicely. I always like to end on a positive note too. Like, Lee, I leave, and they're like not happy that I left. Maybe they are a little, <laughs> or they're happy they went back to class. But at least like you know, like they leave the therapy room like and they're like, oh, I did good, you know. And so I like I give a sticker at the end, just like positive reinforcement. So like the next time they come, they associate it with like, oh, this is the good place, you know. <laughs> I don't know. The good place is a show, but this is like the fun place, you know, like we have fun here. We play games and we, you know, we get stickers at the end. So that's how I like to end the session. But in terms of like the paragraph, so like a preschool Mm -hmm. child, do you have them like sentence strips and like their parent has to help them, I guess, because that that might be hard for like a preschooler. I'm thinking even like a kid on the spectrum to read like a whole paragraph. I love it. You're asking such yeah. Great questions. Thank you. Yeah. This is my job. And, and you know? it's like, we're going Drinking, deep. Like I, I didn't deep. expect this I get session to go Kelly. so deep. I, I think. I, yeah. Okay. So skim the surface. We don't, I just, I know like our listeners, that's why, you know, they reach out to me and I like, I know, I guess what they're thinking perhaps, or I think I know what they're thinking. So, cause like a lot of people that I've listeners I've met, they'll say like, I listen to your podcast on my way to work and clinic. So like, I want them to think like, okay, so like I have a preschooler, right. We could all think of a client. So like, what should I do with them? Like maybe giving them like a set passage of something they can like say, and then, you know, incorporate some movement. I really love that idea, the movement. All right. So we're getting really deep right now. Yeah. (laughs) And all right. Let's say in my life, what has happened to me is my best discoveries have happened on accident Mm -hmm. as a therapist. So I was working with this graduate student. I was working with this child at the sentence strip level. And it's just like, look at balls. Okay. Here's your balls. Okay. And that's she on your website. Over. She too. didn't know what she was doing. I mean, she didn't know. She grabbed a paragraph. Mm, okay. Is like, what are you doing? This kid just not really talk, you know. 
And she did the paragraph okay. with this child who's learning to talk. And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, so I hear what you. I've been doing is I've been going, like I said, I don't care what you can do. Mm-hmm. I care what you could do. I like that. So I'm working with these children with autism. I'm like, okay, you can say, let's go to the paragraph. Let's, you can say the sentence, let's go to the paragraph. But when I do is I have these children with autism say a paragraph. And I'm doing research on this right now because what we found is it's one thing you can prove their speech by saying scrape, by saying spray, by saying drop, by saying these hard clusters. If I put them in a paragraph, I can also improve their language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. And even asking- their literacy skills and even their executive function. So how does that, so you can like, let's get five for the price of one. Seriously. And this goes into the complexity approach. You're not starting in isolation. You're actually starting with a paragraph because this is so different from like what I've like learned growing up, growing up, you know, in school and in other maybe PDs. But now you're like giving us something different, like start off with the paragraph and just kind of like give them all the stuff complex right challenge equals change i'm seeing what you're doing now I'm picking up yeah. what you're putting down so what have what happens when the what i think is happening with these children with autism why i'm getting such amazing gains with them is because i'm improving their attention mm-hmm. yeah. you can't have joint attention if you don't have attention and attention is a foundational skill that if you don't have that you're not going anywhere so yeah having these children say a paragraph instead of say one word means their, their attention's going to be longer. They have to focus on to finish the task. If they even want to like, you know, get up and, you know, do the ball toss or do the bowling. So, and the activity I'm sure is rewarding too. So like sit down, let's read our paragraph and then we can like get up and then incorporate movement. I like it. See, I'm getting yeah, it. It's like interval training. You're going to yes. work your tail off, but then you get to drink some water and stop and you're going to work your tail off. Yeah. To yeah. maintain your, to get optimal performance. Agreed. Yeah, so in, in the mind and the body with the kids with autism, it's really, really shows how it's interconnected mm-hmm. because when you lose the child physically, like when they look off, you lose the, you lose the interaction. You mm-hmm. lose, I mean, it's so interconnected. If the body's in, the mind's in. Right. And you, we, yeah. Yeah. If the body disengages, the mind disengages immediately. You can see that connection. I so see that for if sure. If they're talking to you, they're connected. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're so I'm, I'm glad you. you bring that up. So really quickly, when the children with autism do a paragraph, we're improving their attention because they're saying a whole paragraph. They're saying first, then, next, lastly, that improves literacy and executive function, which is everything. So, and we're using those tier two vocabulary words first, then, lastly, because because that improves them globally using that type of vocabulary. And then we're throwing in these words, scrape, spray, drop, improve their speech. Right. So we're improving everything at one time by saying a paragraph. 
I get that. That is really yeah. great. That's a good like snapshot of how your therapy sessions go. Yeah. So we usually like to end our episode with like a tip or a trick. I will go first. Okay. I, um, so just something like simple or it doesn't have to be simple. Like I mentioned, one of our guests didn't recommend something like super, super simple. She was like, go and do this training and spend mm-hmm. a lot of time because this is worth your time. So you could also give a tip like that. But mm-hmm. my tip is going to be to use a beach ball, which is something I did and it's summertime and it's a great activity to catch and throw and to have that engagement. And of course, you know, the kid might like run off and try to do their own thing with their ball, but just like keep going back and then you can incorporate just like ready, set, and then they could say go and then they could associate like go with the action or even just like the word like catch with the action. So you're still incorporating language throughout, but the reciprocal ball play, it's a big PT goal. I've heard PTs do that, but it's great for engagement, attention, social skills, hand-eye coordination, which all relates to speech. So it all relates, you know, there's always rationale. So do you have any I love that example too, because the way fun beach ball, yeah. yeah, go to the dollar store, get a beach ball. Yeah. You're like a beach SLP. Why not? Yeah. And that's the thing, the way we, the way kids play, like speech pathologists are like, I'm going to teach you to say, can I play? Children don't talk to other children. Children join other children and play by doing what other children can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. And so I love that your example where it's like, I'm going to teach you how to do what other children do because I know that gate is closed to you right. if you can't do what they can do. Mm-hmm. So you, I love your example of treating the whole child and not in opening the doors for them to join their peers yes. by being able to do what their peers can do. Exactly. So that's such a great example. So thank you. My, of course, my tidbit would be my book because it's amazing. There you go. And I, I want to tell you really quickly what I love about my book and sure. what it is. My, my book is not a book. It's, it's a hundred digital clips of therapy and assessment, but it's a mastermind. And what I mean by mastermind, a mastermind is when multiple minds come together mm-hmm. and they create a mind. So nice. let me explain what I mean about my book. My Go book has, okay, here's a digital clip of what the graduate student and what myself, what we came up with. There's like 15 different graduate students. And this is, this is the research and this is the best we could come up with. And then it has the reader say, how could I do this better? Mm, yeah. So the whole idea behind a mastermind is the more we get together, the better things become. So what it is, is it's like, this is my best. I'm going to give you my best. And this is my graduate student's best right here. And you take your best and whatever you're going to create is going to be better than what I did, than what she did. And then what you could do alone. So it's a mastermind. The book is a mastermind. And I love um, that. that's why I love, I'm always teaching graduate students year round. And you were too, you were teaching graduate students is because we up each other. We're saying, this is my best. And they said, this is my best. And they're like, whoa, yeah, that would be amazing. If we did this. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. I, yeah. No, that's yeah. excellent. And you get mm-hmm. different ideas together and, you know, two heads are better than one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that also, I think that like, like we were talking about before, like the research shows the more diverse the backgrounds are, the better the outcomes. Wow. So I think that's really good because I know that whoever's reading that book is going to be totally different from me. Right. They have a total different skill set. So, so it's going to be amazing because they bring something to the table that I don't have. So they're going to make whatever we show, which is amazing. Their clips are amazing. They're going to make it a million times better. That's really so that, great. That's exciting to me. I'll include the link to the show notes where they can hmm. purchase the book or find the book. Okay. So right. you'll, we'll do that for our listeners, help them out a little bit. So just to end our episode, we like to end with a quote, uh, like an inspirational quote or a mantra. So since you're our guest of honor, if you would like to leave us or end to end our episode with a quote. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great that you asked that because there was a great quote that I I must admit, I work with children with autism. Half of my caseload are children who are severely impaired with autism and, and I look at COVID and I think that they were the greatest victims. I had children that for two years from the ages of two to four or three to five that did not get the intervention Mm. that they need. And I think that the greatest quote is it's in an Instagram I put is by John Stuart Mills. He said that inaction is not okay if it causes injury. So I feel like for the kids I work with who are largely can't talk, I think as speech pathologists, we need to talk for them. And we were on a front lines of our own in which we saw children with very severe levels of impairment that did not receive the intervention that they needed Mm -hmm. for two years. And I think we can't let that happen a third year. So I just, I think it is important uh, to say that I believe in personal choice. I believe in personal rights, but I'm not, as being an advocate, I'm going to say that inaction, by inaction, you will injure other people. Mm-hmm. And being on the front lines, it's, it's real. And, and there's a hundred years be, behind these children's lives that are impacted by this inaction. That, that did not receive those two years of intervention. You can't go back in time. You can't change that. So that I think the John Stuart Mills quote, I think is, is what I'm feeling right now. Okay. Well, I'm feeling it too. And <laughs> it, that was very powerful to leave us with that. And, you know, let that be some like inspiration to the SLPs, you know, going, maybe going back to work now, or just listen, we're going to try our best, do our best and uh, hope for the best. So thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on the show. Thank you for giving us so much information in such a small amount of time. We really got all your info out there. We really got your, your masterminds at work here. I loved it. This was great. I feel like you can listen to this and get so many great therapy tips, everyone. So Thank you again, Kelly. And I look forward to trying this uh, mud water, this mushroom tea too. So I'll be thinking of you. Thank you, Maria. And I love that you asked really crazy deep questions. That's me. I was not expecting this. That's me. We're just going to talk about the complexity approach, easy breezy, 
And you asked questions that really, really matter, that, that really, really do make a difference. Thank you. For these I, children. Thank yeah. you. I want our listeners to get something from this episode. So thank you to everyone who's listening. <laughs>